Welcome back in, everybody. Sports Daily on KFH. Jake Baldrock, Tommy Castor with you here on this Monday edition of the program. It is Super Bowl week. We have no better idea of how to predict this game now than we did last week. At least I don't, Tommy. I had a, I had a great betting weekend, and I'm ready to blow it all on crazy Super Bowl bets. Uh, let's go. This is where... It gets real wacky. It's like this moment of desperation. Like, oh, no more football betting till till August. I've actually really enjoyed basketball far more than I thought I would. Uh, having some fun uh, with BetMGM on some basketball bets. Did uh, did well. Hit a little parlay yesterday, Tommy. We were pointing out some point overs that we liked over the weekend. Both good hits. Uh, our friends over at BetMGM. Sorry, at BetQL identified Texas on the money line is a really interesting bet. We were curious about that. It was one of its favorite bets of the weekend, and it played out that way. So I, I've enjoyed basketball betting more than I thought I would, but Super Bowl betting is going to take center stage here, um, Tommy, as we as we bring out uh, you know all the prop bets throughout the week that come. The actual game lines have stayed steady now. Chiefs plus one and a half. Um, and over 50 and a half are the two uh, traditional betting spots that we're seeing. And I don't, I honestly, that probably isn't going to change very much at this point, Tommy. I think that's probably about where it'll stay. Like, I, I suppose it could move a little bit if we get a bunch of positive injury reports for the Chiefs, which I suspect that we will this week. So I'll be curious if that moves it. But again, we're looking at a Super Bowl where it's going to be. It's going to be hard to predict this one. I, I still don't have a good grasp of it. And even if I know everybody's healthy, I won't have a good grasp of it. Yeah, I really haven't had a chance to, to super dive into all the player props and everything that uh, are out. Now, for the Super Bowl, I know as we go on throughout the week, um, I'll, I'll have an opportunity to do that. But just at first glance, a couple of them on the defensive side of the ball that I like quite a bit, Chris Jones on his over for sacks. Right now, it's... A quarter of a sack is the over-under. So if he gets a half a sack, uh, then you you hit on that. What's the Same juice thing, on that? Uh, it's right at even money. So, I mean, that's Oh, a, man. Well, yeah. which, so I, remember, now, if that sounds so appetizing, before the last game that they played, in all the playoff games Chris Jones has played, he never had a sack. So keep that in mind on that. He had two last week, though, and I so I, I feel I, like— I like the bet, too. starting like to move a little too. bit. Same thing with Hassan Reddick, the for, for the Eagles. Uh, his over-under for sacks is at the same. The, the, the odds are not quite as good, but he absolutely destroyed San Francisco uh, in the NFC Championship game. So at first glance, those are a couple of them that I think are interesting, but I know as the week goes on, uh, we'll really, really dive into those player props. I mean, there are all kinds of fun things right now. A.J. Brown and Travis Kelsey to each— uh, Oh, sorry. Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, and Travis Kelsey all to get a touchdowns at, like, plus 725. Like, get ready for the wackiness in the state of Kansas now as we've got this opportunity. Here's what makes this really challenging. Field Yates pointed this out earlier this morning. The Chiefs this year, Tommy. Again, this is according to Field Yates. Works for ESPN. He's great. 16 and 3 overall, 546 points scored, six all pros, AFC's number 1 seed. Both and their quarterback is an all pro and a Kelsey brother. 
The Eagles this year, 16 and 3, 546 points scored, six all pros, including a Kelsey and the quarterback, and NFC's number one seed. I mean, the numbers are so similar. They get them done in totally different ways. But I don't know that either team coming in has some inherent advantage and coaching's going to matter and quarterback play is going to matter. That's why I'm leaning Chiefs because I do think it's so even. Um, you know, we've seen Andy Reid in this game now three times. He's one and two. He lost one with the Chiefs, lost one with the Eagles, and then won one with the Chiefs. We've obviously never seen Nick Sirianni in this spot. We've seen Patrick Mahomes in this spot twice. We've seen, you know, the Chiefs not, you know, just totally overwhelm offensively both times they've been in the spot with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. And Philadelphia is a total unknown. It is a really difficult game to predict. They do different things well. Uh, they haven't played a lot of the same people. Like all those things that we keep talking about aren't going to change. And if you tell me every Chiefs health player is healthy, that doesn't like all of a sudden I'm like, oh, lock it in. They're going to win. No. Like, I hope that they're all healthy because I, I do lean Chiefs slightly. But, man, I don't have a good feeling about it at all. I think that, of course, as we've discussed before, the key is going to be to keep Jalen Hurts contained in the pocket for as long as you possibly can. Um, I think that that's really where uh, you're going to have the most amount of success defensively for Kansas City. You let him get to the edge and you let him run. Uh, it's going to be a long day for Kansas City's defense. But if you can contain him in the pocket and you can force him to have to drop back and pass, yeah, they've got A.J. Brown. They've got Devontae Smith. They've got talented wide receivers. But typically, Jalen Hurts, I think, has the most amount of his success when he's out of the pocket and he's trying to make something happen. And and you've got one of these receivers that is able to get separation and and you know make something special happen. But if you... Contain him in the pocket. That's where the edge rushers are going to come into play. I want to see George Karloftis have a big impact for Kansas City uh, in this game. But if you can contain Jalen Hurts and keep him in that pocket uh, and and prevent him from scrambling around, that's going to be, I think, the best opportunity for uh, the Chiefs to have a lot of success. Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely want to make him beat you with his arm and not his legs, for sure. Um, It's just, man, it's really, really hard to do that number one and he's played so well with his arm this year that you know again easier said than done right like it's not an easy proposition because he has thrown the ball well better than anybody expected him to be able to I think at this level and and that makes it you know incredibly difficult to get a grasp of I do think and and probably I'll be I'm going to be blatantly honest here. Probably the reason I'm going to lean Kansas City is because I want Kansas City to win, right? Like I don't like the Eagles. I really enjoy the Chiefs, and I don't want to present any scenario where I'm not rooting for the Chiefs. When I'll bet the Chiefs, probably for that reason as much as any other, because I think we can grasp at straws. But the reality is going to come down to game plan and big players making big plays, and both teams have a lot of big-time players. Uh, They each have candidates for NFL Defensive Players of the Year in Reddick and Chris Jones. Uh, They both have quarterbacks, right? Number one and two, maybe number, you know, one and three, however the MVP ends up shaking out. 
They've both got head coaches that are at the top of their game, and I think two head coaches that very much could have been the NFL's coaches of the year this year. You could have easily made a case for that, the way that the Chiefs have transformed themselves and the way that the Eagles, well, came out of nowhere. Um, So big players and big coaches are going to have to step up here. Game plan's going to matter. The last time we saw the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, they got their butts kicked coaching, right? Tampa Bay kicked their tails in the coaching category. So, can you know, Kansas City was very, I thought, evenly matched with San Francisco, right? They both sort of brought it, and it was much more even. But in, in the Tampa Bay game, Tampa whooped them in the coaching front. Um, the big-time players, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, most notably, led to a Chiefs win over the 49ers. So, you know, which of those things plays itself out as the most critical here? Man, Philadelphia's had almost perfect game plans two times now that we've seen them in the postseason. And, and that's the big question, right? Like, what, what after this game, like a week from today, and we sit here on this show, are we going to be talking more about players making plays or the game plan that both of these coaches or one of these coaches put together? And, and I think that's kind of the chess match. And, and it can be a combination of both. It doesn't have to be in either or. But I think that there, there will end up being – a prevailing narrative one way or another, either players went out and made plays uh, or you can really talk about the game plan uh, being solid by either one of these coaches. It was really interesting. And I, I don't know if you heard about this or not, but Brandon Ayuk from the 49ers uh, gave an interview over the weekend where he talked about a whole bunch of different things, including the Super Bowl matchup. And, and he still feels like the 49ers had the best team or have the best team in the NFL. But he talked about the Eagles, and his quote was, I don't know fully about that defense. They talk about them being a good defense. I'm not sure. I think this Kansas City pass game will expose what we thought we were going to expose before some unfortunate circumstances. They got extremely lucky. Now, some of that might be sour grapes you know, from a guy who's sitting at home and the 49ers sure. are out of it now. Uh, but he feels like they had a game plan to quote-unquote expose the Eagles defense they weren't able to do it I think due large in part to Brock Purdy getting hurt and all of that uh but I he believes that Kansas City's pass game will be able to expose that Eagles pass defense and I wonder what he's seeing because he didn't really go into depth on that but I wonder what he's seeing that would lead him to believe that well yeah it, well he play, he and he plays for one of the premier game planning coaches in the league right too which matters but I've felt that way. I have felt that way about Philadelphia all year. However, I, I just they keep doing it though, and and at some point, I I feel like that's my fault, right? Like I'm I'm the one missing out, and so it, it's just you know like. It, it's hard to evaluate it because there is something that has stuck with me all year where I'm like, yeah, I don't know. But they're, I mean, they're killing people. And they've looked as impressive as you could possibly look through two games in the postseason. And then you get to the 49ers and they dominate them and you're like, okay, there it is. And then, But wait, they lost two quarterbacks in that game. And, it's, and again, you sit here with the same like, is this all just good fortune? And guess what? Good fortune can continue into the Super Bowl, too, by the way. Um, I do think that the Chiefs are the better team. 
I do think that the Chiefs, the Bengals, and the Bills were the three best teams in football this year. I think that the Eagles slot in behind them. I think it's very, very close, though. And I, I in this game, we've seen it a million times. Anything can happen. These games sometimes don't aren't, aren't close, right? The Super Bowl has the you know this way of doing that. I boy, I, I want to say I, I see a close game, and I think that I do, but I could easily see one of these teams having the better game plan and it working to perfection, and and one team just really struggling. And I can see it because we have seen it, right? That's what happened to the Chiefs against Tampa. I want to go back to what you mentioned about when the Chiefs beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl three years ago. Uh, and you mentioned Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, and everybody remembers the Wasp uh, play where Tyreek got open, and that was the game-changing play for, for Kansas City. And that's all true and well and good, but also keep in mind that a key contributor to Kansas City winning that Super Bowl was Damian Williams. And it was the effectiveness sure. on the Should ground. Should have been the Super Bowl MVP. Right. It was the effectiveness from Kansas City on the ground that led to the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. And you go back to two weeks ago when the Chiefs played the Jags in the divisional round. And Isaiah Pacheco had a great ground game. Almost ran for uh, 100 yards. I think he had 95. Um, was super effective. Averaged over seven yards a carry. The Bengals defense bottled him up. Bottled the run game entirely for Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. They've got to get a better outcome from their run game if they want to win the Super Bowl. And they can run on Philadelphia. It's been a, a narrative throughout the entire season that the run defense for Philly is not elite. Uh, it's better than what it was when they started the season. That was a huge Achilles heel uh, from, from, the, from the Chiefs early on. Uh, or from the Eagles early on, but the, the Eagles have their 15th in the NFL in their run defense, and so you've got to make sure that you're attacking them on the ground. And, I mean, history will tell you that the most amount of success that Kansas City has had in the Super Bowl three years ago was when they were able to run the ball effectively. Earl on the line, 869-1240. Earl, a great Chiefs fan, usually has a take. Uh, to encourage Chiefs fans. I suspect that you have one as well heading into this Super Bowl. Hey, Earl. Hey, good morning, fellas. Hey, I, I just first, I got to say, Tampa Bay's plan wasn't so much better. They had a defensive line where our offensive line was decimated by injury. I mean, no team going into any game, uh, you know, down to third string and a left tackle, second string, right tackle, guard out, is going to perform well. I mean, and even at that, had the receivers caught the ball a little bit, you know, that game would have been closer. So I, I don't know that other than Biennemi not helping his quarterback out a little bit more with game plan, maybe that's what you're referring to as far as hang, hang on. Let me, I'm gonna, I want to, I want to bring something up there. Yes. Teams can overcome those kinds of line injuries. Cincinnati beat Buffalo with three starters out just two weeks ago. In the but snow. In that in, the snow. in that game, in that game, Tampa Bay did things that set the league up this past season to do defensively to quarterbacks. And we saw quarterbacks struggle more than they ever had. The things that they did with safeties and coverages set the league up to change the way they play defenses and have offenses react. So I do think that game plan was premier by Tampa. Defensive game plan was okay with that, and what you're saying I will not debate. But I can say this. There were four passes that hit Kansas City receivers in the hands 
that they Agreed. didn't haul in in that game. But, hey, that was then. This is now. The Chiefs are going to roll, baby. This is this is <laughs> custom made for us. I, You know, I'm a Sooner fan, so I watch Jalen Hurts. And, you know, I the man is integrity five times over. If we turn him into just a thrower, he is not – you know, he's got an injured wing himself. He he is not going to be all that in a bag of chips. So, But he runs the ball well in a, a time or two. As long as Willie Gay's in there, we spy him up. You know, this young defensive core, did you see what they did to as good, if not better, receivers for Cincinnati? I mean, and you got you got to believe Burrow throws the ball a little better than Jalen with his hurt shoulder, right? So, you know, that defense is going to do its job. Here's the thing. You can go through Philadelphia's schedule. They have not played a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes all year. They have gotten, and you use the term lucky, they've sorted through second-string, third-string quarterbacks all year long. This is, this is a lot of smoke and mirror by the Eagles. That's a good football team. But I would lean more towards this will be blowout time. And you know what? The Chiefs have a little bit of sour of losing a Super Bowl in their mouth. The Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, these guys are going to be strapped up, wired up tight, and they're going to go out there and ground eagle, ground. Chief on. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I love it, Earl. Uh, Higgins and Chase had good games against the secondary. Now, the secondary did make some plays, and the Chiefs' defensive line was outstanding. Um, I, I don't think – that Jalen Hurts is going to sit back there and throw it 41 times, um, you know, based on what we've seen. I don't think uh, Jalen Hurts isn't designed to do that, but that would be, I mean, you would love to do that, right? If you were the Chiefs, of course you would. Um, it, it's just, you know, what can you make them do? And and here's the other part of it, and this is where I don't want to overthink. Yeah, if they can make Jalen Hurts throw it a ton, of course that's going to be better. But don't you think every team in football has known that all year long? And therein lies the problem. How do you make him throw the ball more? You got to stop the run, right? And you got to do it. He threw it 35 times against the Giants. Um, I don't think he's thrown it. Yeah, he hasn't thrown it more than 40 all year. And he his average uh, in attempts, he threw it 25 times against the Niners. The Niners is, is an outlier game, though, to look at because of just what happened on the field. But... Yeah, I, I think if you're the Chiefs, you'd love to see Hurts throw it 40 times. I just don't know that that's going to happen. And in order to do that, you've got to stop the run. And, you know, Willie Gay spying Hurts means Willie Gay's not focused in on stopping the run. There are matchup things. And, yes, the Chiefs can achieve these things. But you still have to go out and make the plays, right? Like, I think we all know they want to make Jalen Hurts throw the ball. But you still got to get out there and do that. And I don't think that there's any doubt that Kansas City's secondary – uh, I think is going to have trouble consistently hanging on to guys like Devontae Adams and, and A.J. Brown. Uh, I'm not Devonta saying that Smith. they won't be able to shut it down at, at times, but I think throughout the entire game, I think they're going to have an issue right. hanging with those guys. Now, that being said, if you can keep Jalen Hurts in the pocket and force him to throw, I'm, I don't trust Jalen Hurts' accuracy to get the ball to those guys. So they might be able to get separation uh, from the young corners and, and all of that uh, that Kansas City has. 
but can Jalen Hurts effectively and accurately put the ball in those guys' hands? I'm not sure that he can throughout the course of the entire game, maybe a couple times here and there, but I think that that's going to ultimately be the best strategy for Kansas City to shut down Jalen Hurts. You can't let him run. You can't let him scramble. You can't let him make things, you know, improvise and, and make things happen. But if you can force him to drop back, I'm not sure he's got the accuracy to be able to make those guys hit on passes throughout the entire game. No, I don't think he's making the kinds of throws we saw Burrow making key spots where Higgins and Chase are beating two defenders. I, I, I don't think, I'm not sure even A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown might be, but those are those are elite level, next level type plays that Burrow to those two receivers were able to make. I think this is, it's probably similar to what we've seen and needed from Chiefs defenses in the past. They have to be able to step up in third down situations or in key stop situations and make those plays, right? Whether it's McDuffie, who's, McDuffie is playing well now. Whether it's him deflecting a couple of last second passes, whether it's the defensive line coming up with a big stop or the right kind of pressure or a sack or whatever it is in a key spot. I'm not going to sit here and say Kansas City's going to lock down Philadelphia. They right. don't have to do that. They right. have to beat them in big spots. And that's what they did against Cincinnati, and that's what they're going to have to do again in this game. Did you know that Trent McDuffie, I read this over the weekend, that since he came back from that hamstring injury in Week 9, he has played every single defensive snap since that time except for eight. He's been on the sideline for yeah. eight defensive snaps only from Week 9 to now he's a workhorse he's been able to stay healthy he's been able to stay on the field and be effective and, and I, I know I mean we've talked about it we talked about it all the way back when he returned from the injury how much of a game changer he is he's only going to get better in his career for sure uh, but you could see a distinct change in the way that Kansas City was able to play in the in the past defense in the secondary with Trent McDuffie on the field it, for sure and he is he was a he was a hit in the draft, so was George Karloftis. We'll look at this. The defense is playing better. I don't think they're gonna lock Philly down, but again, you just gotta make the big plays. And 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 what and the other thing that I don't know yet, and we'll obviously have to see the game play out on this, and I guess this is where the over under comes into play. Does this feel like a game of big plays, right? Where it's, you know, some key big plays offensively, right? Where does Devonta Smith break loose on one and make a big 50-yard touchdown catch. A.J. Brown's certainly capable of that. Jalen Hurts is capable of that with his legs uh, if he's healthy, which I don't think we fully know yet. And and obviously, Kansas City is capable of the same things, less so than it has been in years past. But you, they're still going to make big plays offensively and have key conversions and do those types of things. Again, we've pointed it out. Philadelphia has one of the better pass defenses against tight ends. In the league this year, Kansas City has not faced a defense that's that good against the tight end yet in the postseason, not even close. And that, you know, that becomes a factor if anything is a factor against Travis Kelsey. He lightens up as a receiver often enough that it's going to be deceptive anyway. But it, we, we're just scratching the surface on Super Bowl coverage. We'll have Dan Israel in tomorrow, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, to help us look forward as well. Curious to see some of the things he's been able to dig up and what they're looking at as well from uh, from the perspective of those closest to the team. 869-1240, the number to call. Don't talk a lot of NBA on this show, but when you get a blockbuster like we saw yesterday, we got to dig into it just a little bit. Kyrie Irving traded from the Nets. What do we think about that? 
as basketball fans. 869-1240, the number to call. Jacob and Tommy here with you on this Monday. We're coming right back. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor with you here on this program. It is a Monday. Uh, it is a big Monday. We'll talk a little bit about KU's matchup with Texas. Some keys there for us. A game you'll hear right here on KFH. We'll do that in our next segment. Uh, all right, Tommy. This Kyrie Irving trade. Now, this is interesting. And it is as blockbuster as you're going to get when a player like Kyrie Irving and Markeith Morris, by the way, shout out KU. Uh, comes back, but Dallas gives up a first all the way in 2029, six years from now, okay, and a couple of sevenths, uh, sorry, seconds, you've, about that far down the road. Spencer Dinwiddie goes back uh, to Brooklyn. Dorian Finney-Smith's pretty good player. I actually kind of like it for both sides. It, you know, everyone's looking for winners and losers here. I get why people don't like it for the Mavs and think it doesn't make sense because it's Kyrie Irving and he's, you know, he's a weird dude, Ace. Um, and and I the the best thing that I saw yesterday, by the way, and I don't, I don't remember who to give credit, so apologies there. Uh, but it was something to the effect of, wow, Kyrie Irving going to play in the town JFK was assassinated in. He'll have a lot of research now he can do. Like, Kyrie Irving has always had weird takes on things, right? Conspiracies and all, all the things. But if it's just the basketball, he's still one of the better scorers in this league, and he's going to play with one of the best and most creative facilitators and scorers, by the way, with Luka. And he's got an expiring contract. So what Dallas was doing right now wasn't working with Luka anyway, Tommy. And Dallas needs to do everything to make sure Lucas stays there forever. So if what was there now wasn't working, bringing in a guy with the skill set of a Kyrie Irving is fine with me. Now, do they extend his contract? I don't even know that that matters right now. But for right now, this was a kind of move maybe to shake up their season and put them over the edge. And those two guys together are two premier players. And see if it works, and if it doesn't, you just ha- you freed up a whole bunch of money to go throw at somebody in the offseason to try and find the right mix with Luka to go win a title. For Brooklyn, obviously, uh, the welcome had worn out for Kyrie Irving. It didn't work with Durant. They get a couple of useful pieces back, draft capital down the road. They're just trying to dump this thing, and and it's fine. I think I think their return was fine for a guy that wanted to be out of there anyway. What's crazy about this is that there are now reports that say that Joe Sy, the owner of the uh, Brooklyn Nets, turned down better offers to send Kyrie to the Mavericks because he wanted to keep Kyrie from going to the Lakers, and the Lakers was uh, apparently Kyrie's preferred destination to reunite with LeBron. Uh, and the Lakers actually proposed a better package than the Mavericks did, uh, but the, the Nets shipped him to Dallas anyway because they didn't want him to go reunite with LeBron, uh, which seems like Spike. so petty, 
so petty yeah. and I love it and I'm here for it. Um, and I'm on record. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I hate the NBA. I hate it. Uh, from a, from a pure sport perspective, I'm not a fan. I don't like it. I don't like watching it, but from a soap opera perspective and the, and the storylines around it, man, it's, it's entertaining. And the fact that, uh, you've got Kyrie potentially going to a team that he didn't really want to go to and playing with the best player in the NBA in Luca, uh, and, and seeing how the two of them can coexist. I mean, I believe that any team that wanted to go out and get Kyrie Irving absolutely deserves what they're going to get from Kyrie Irving. Sure. Uh, because yeah, I mean, he can, he can uh, put up points. He can, he can play well, uh, but the drama and the off the court crap that he brings with him, you absolutely deserve what you're going to get when you bring in Kyrie Irving to your franchise. And, you know, I've, I've seen people comment on social media already saying things like, well, how long until Kyrie gets tired of Luca? Well, I actually think it's going to be how long until Luca gets tired of Kyrie. Uh, yeah, because I think that I, when you've got a player like Luca and you got to deal with that personality, I think that honeymoon is going to wear off super quick. It, it will. And it's just, um, it's just a shot. Like Dallas is, man, Dallas is throwing a dart, right? Like they're not really, I, I don't know that anybody in Dallas thinks this is going to give them an NBA title, but it's like, well, what can we do? Like, what, what are we going to do? Let's, Let's just take this shot. Who knows? Because we've seen Kyrie paired with the best player in the NBA and LeBron James win a title, right? And and why not? Who cares? If not, we get an expiring contract and we're going to have to break this thing down anyway. You know, I, I don't know if Luka is at the point in his career where he's a part of these conversations. I would suspect probably not. Although if I'm the Mavs, I would at least want to get a gauge of what he feels about things. Like, hey, what do you feel about Kyrie Irving? We've got a chance to go get him. Um, I can't imagine that he would be on board with that. I mean, maybe, yeah, I don't his, know, maybe from a purely basketball perspective, I guess. I, I but, think that man, I think he's worn out. I think he's worn out. I think honestly, if I were Luke, I'd probably welcome the offensive somebody to lessen the offensive burden because Luca's part of his greatness. It's he, he's he's like LeBron. That's who he reminds me of. Is his ability to create all over the place, right? And he can create some opportunities for Kyrie Irving that Kyrie Irving probably hasn't had since he played with LeBron. And so that part of it to me is fine because there's not a lot of pressure for the Mavs. I I, I look at the NBA more simplistically, I think, than a lot of people. The Mavs with Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie weren't winning a title. They gave up picks that aren't relevant to Luka's future in Dallas in the term of winning a championship, you know what I mean? Like 2029, like I don't care about that right now if I'm the Mavericks. So if none of the, like if you're not going to win a title or even make the playoffs perhaps with those guys anyway, then who cares, right? Do something and they did something and they'll decide if it works and they want to try to bring Kyrie back. But the reality is if Kyrie and LeBron really want to reunite that bad, Kyrie will just not sign an extension and go play for the Lakers next year. So you know, that's I and I think that's what people look at with the Mavs. And I'm not sure there are a lot of Mavs fans that even want the extension at this point. In fact, I bet there are more that don't. Yeah. But, you know, if he comes in and they light the world on fire, then you have an interesting conversation to have. But then you have to consider all the baggage that comes with Kyrie. I think I'm the opposite of you, Tommy. It's the the soap opera nature of the NBA is the part that I genuinely 
do not care about. But the basketball at a high level, I do love at the right time of the year. Now, for a lot of reasons, college basketball has slid ahead of the NBA for me as far as like what I watch on a nightly basis. It matters more to my life here than the NBA does. It is a quicker experience, right? The games aren't as long. There's a lot of reasons for that. I've loved the culture of the college basketball scene that I didn't know about until I moved here, all of that. But I still, look, when we get to the postseason, man, I love the NBA playoffs. I really love the NBA playoffs now when it's not a foregone conclusion on who's going to win the title. Like it went, we went through that for a stretch with Golden State. I Tell me who's going to win the NBA title right now because I don't think anybody has any idea. Uh, maybe Boston is is the team most people would lean to. I don't know who it is. Um, but so, so from the basketball perspective, when I imagine I, I just get into the postseason and let me see some playoff games with a, an engaged Kyrie Irving alongside Luca. And let's see what that looks like against some of the better teams in the league. That's what I want to see. So I'm fine with it. I don't think it impacts the Mavs a whole lot long-term anyway, at least negatively. Uh, and it could impact them positively. And for the Nets, you just, it, it was done. Like it didn't work. Well, and going back to that whole report about the Nets owner turning down an offer from the Lakers, I understand why, and I get the the spitefulness. I mean, because all the drama that Kyrie caused that franchise and organization and the anti-Semitic stuff and everything that Kyrie did, it was kind of a black eye on the organization. So I understand ownership being like, look, we're not going to give him what he wants. We're not going to send him to the place that he wants to go. I understand it from that perspective, but then also... If Kyrie is going to turn around potentially and just sign with the Lakers in the offseason, then maybe you would have been better off trading him to the Lakers because you would have gotten more in return. You would have gotten the expiring contract of Russell Westbrook. That's one of it, but one one piece of it. But also, you would have gotten two first-round draft picks uh, where the package that the Mavs sent you back— not as good as what the Lakers were going to do. And then there's the whole report that Phoenix jumped in and they were offering Chris Paul uh, and some draft picks and a couple of other players. The Clippers were involved in it too. Um, I I understand the motive and why you wouldn't want to give Kyrie Irving what he wants because he's been such a pain the entire time that he's been there. But also you have to kind of look at it from a business perspective like, hey, maybe we could have gotten a better return if we had just given him what he wanted. Oh, sure. And spite makes us do silly things in life. And clearly it was, <laughs> clearly it was a factor there. Uh, <laughs> but whatever, um, whatever we'll, we'll see. I, I, I think it makes Luka Doncic more interesting, which is good for the league. Um, if Kyrie can just go play basketball somewhere, I mean, he's a fun player to watch. It's just, he is, he is such a, a strange experience off the court and I've never talked to him. I don't know him. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, he said some really idiotic things. Um, okay. Like, let's just, just get to the basketball and see if it works. Eight six nine twelve forty is the number to call. Let's preview big Monday. We got a big is an understatement game for KU tonight with Texas coming in. We'll talk about it next on sports daily.
All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily on KFH. Uh, so here we go. You've got Kansas and Texas tonight. The big one, obviously, for Kansas coming off a loss. Texas, a short turnaround. Both games on the road here, Tommy. You know, the spread has moved down to three and a half on BetMGM. I'm kind of liking KU. We went through this show and we started and it was at four, four and a half this morning when I checked. I was like, ah, that seems like too much. But the more I think about it, Texas played on the road on Saturday. I assume flew back to Austin and now flies right back to Kansas for a big Monday showdown, an emotional and physical game against Kansas State. KU has got to be ticked. Bill Self has probably been fairly unpleasant. Uh, some of the big players you know that they've got to step it up and they got to come back to Allen Fieldhouse in front of the home fans. I actually do think I like Kansas tonight, minus three and a half. Um, a part of that, too, is like my initial reaction, and everyone's going to think the same thing I think here is like, uh, what were we watching on Saturday that makes you think Kansas is a three and a half point favorite, right? Again, sometimes you got to look bigger picture. It's KU at home, it's Texas on back to back road games on short rest. It's, you know, a physical game against Kansas State in play. Kansas uh, is a little bit desperate here. I, I think I kind of like Kansas now. I, I've, I've thought about it throughout the show, and I'm, I'm sort of on Kansas tonight to cover. we got to start to see some more consistency from the supporting cast uh, on this team. Uh, you mentioned earlier in the show that you feel like K.J. Adams has regressed a little bit, uh, and I don't disagree with that. I think that this is an opportunity for him uh, to be able to go and, and kind of bounce back. Um, you know, Texas does not rebound the ball great. Their leading rebounder is Timmy Allen. He averages just over five rebounds a game, and he's their leading rebounder. So if K.J. Adams can be active on the boards and then, uh, you know, be able to uh, really utilize that short roll to the basket, that's where we've been able to see him have a tremendous amount of success during the conference season. So they're going to need to utilize that. Uh, I really want to see Kevin McCuller get his confidence back. I felt like he had it during Kentucky, and I felt like he had it during the Kansas State game. But against Iowa State, he didn't. Uh, and when he is able to be effective, really being that nuisance on the defensive side of the court and then having no fear to shoot the ball, uh, that's when Kansas can be the best version of itself. They've got to have better production from guys not named Jalen Wilson. If it's a Jalen Wilson game again where he's scoring mid-20s to 30 points and nobody else does anything, then Texas will roll. They will win that game. And I think that that's become the strategy for opponents of Kansas to let Jalen Wilson get his and lock down everybody else. Well, look, I'm just going to look at Dewan Harris again and see if that trend continues. You know, can KU win a game where he doesn't play well, a big game? I don't know. Um and we'll see if he can bounce back from it. That That's, you know, we keep looking at that, and this will be a perfect example of a game like that. Here's here's something else. If Texas wins this game, Tommy, I, I think Texas is going to win the Big 12. We didn't see a scenario where a team wins it, you know, outright. If Texas wins this game, I think Texas is going to win the Big 12. And, you know, at least a share of it, but maybe even the best shot any team has to win it outright is for Texas to win this game tonight. Kansas knows that. And Kansas knows how critical in the Big 12 race this game is for them too because, you know, you win it 
and you're just a game back of Texas now. And so, and I and they'll and you'll have another one coming up against Texas. You get them twice still, right? Kansas hasn't played Texas this year. Yeah. Well, and look, you know, the Longhorns after this game on Big Monday, they've got a stretch of three games that they're not easy, but they're easy in the context of the Big 12. They're at home against West Virginia, they're on the road against Texas Tech, and they're back at home against Oklahoma. That's the next three games. So if they can win tonight, and then they've got those three coming up, and they can they can put even more separation between them and the teams that are chasing them. Um, so you know, yeah, I, I I said it earlier, and I think you said it too. It's a must win for KU, number one, to keep pace in the Big Twelve race. But I would also gather that the other teams that are you know right there, a couple games behind, they need Kansas to win this game too, so they can keep pace also because. You know, from there on, the next three games should be uh, winnable games for the Longhorns, and and they can easily stake their claim for a Big Twelve championship. Yeah, for sure, uh, for sure. Last five games, uh, Texas is slightly ahead. Uh, I just did it. I went to bet MGM, Tommy, and I put my money where my mouth is, and is, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bet on KU to cover that three and a half tonight. I think they're gonna get it done. It'll be something uh it will be exciting it will be tough of course but but there it is i'm 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 laying it out there i think kansas is going to get it done and i think i've talked myself into it now how they get it done i I don't really know that part (laughs) i don't i'm not sure i'll tell you right now you know if you want to look at how the big 12 is going to fall into place at the end of the year if kansas loses this game tonight they're not winning the big 12 they're not even getting a share of the big 12 championship and then Tomorrow night, TCU and Kansas State, the loser of that game does not win the Big 12, and they don't get a share of the Big 12. So in 24 hours, we're going to know pretty quickly if either one of the two teams that we follow in the Big 12 will continue to have a shot to win the conference championship. We will. TCU's banged up. TCU just lost to Oklahoma State. I think Kansas State will be fine. I think that, you know, I, and well, I say that. I don't, I don't know how healthy uh tcu is getting or whatever on that we'll 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 look more into that tomorrow but it's a big one and it's an eight o'clock tip and i love eight o'clock tips because it means i can get home get settled get the kids settled get in here and and really watch the game um we'll tell you all about that part of it here pretty soon but that that's nice too to be able to do that got a programming note um it's uh it's just we've got all kinds of coverage tonight including that KU game we'll get to hear it should be awesome and man it will be a blast and this rivalry is a fun rivalry and let me ask you this about Texas I know we're but we're about to take a break Tommy has Rodney Terry already done enough do you think Texas at this point now does anything else besides just give him the long-term job uh, I don't think he's done enough yet, but I think he will do enough. I think if you can, you know, win the Big 12 championship and make a good run in the NCAA tournament, like second weekend and beyond, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, absolutely. Um, and if I'm Chris Del Conte, the AD right now, I'm starting to think about what a future for this Longhorns program looks like with Rodney Terry at the helm for a long time to come. Yeah, it'll be... Uh... It'll be fun. It'll be exciting. Can't wait for it. Uh, it'll be tonight at 8 o'clock. We'll tell you about the rest of the night on KFH. When we come back, get you what's on tap. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster, a couple of minutes with you on this Monday. <laughs> 